Welcome to the Better Boards podcast series. Our mission at Better Boards is to contribute to creating better boards. We do this by providing clients with an evidence-based approach for board evaluations and board development programs. To fulfill our mission, we would like to give a voice to all who care about creating better boards. All the views expressed in our podcasts are the views of our podcast partners and not those of better boards. I'm delighted that Carol Leonard is joining me for this episode to talk about what it really takes to secure a role on the board of a listed organization. Carol is one of the most experienced and trusted headhunters in the UK. She is CEO of the In-Situ Partnership and head of its board practice. Carol specializes in the recruitment of chairmen, CEOs, non-executive directors, finance directors, general counsel and other main board roles. She does this for almost three decades. Carol's proudness and hands-on approach has contributed to her being dubbed the doyen of boardroom headhunters by the Financial Times. Before her career in headhunting, Carol was a financial journalist with the Times, the Evening Standard and Channel 4. Carol is also a fellow of Said Business School at the University of Oxford. So Carol, thank you so much for taking part in our podcast series. A headhunter once told me that he recognizes when people come through the door if they are really boardroom material. He was talking of a boardroom smell. Would you agree? It's not as simple as that. I think that people coming through the door of a headhunting company need to realize that their reputation has come through the door before they do. That we've probably already got their CV, or if not their CV, we'll have their biography and we'll have gone through that. So we'll know quite a bit about them before they arrive. And it's more about reputation, ability, the overall caliber of the person, which you can't always assess from the way they look visually. These days of inclusion and diversity in terms of gender, BAME, all sorts of different fronts. People don't always look how they used to look. People don't wear the same uniform they used to wear. They don't always have a tie on. They don't always have black shoes. They have all sorts of different colored hair and hairstyles and clothing styles. People are much more accepting and much more tolerant to this diversity. It's a much more enriched field now. So they don't always look as booted and suited as they used to look. But I think you can just assess the caliber. The, as soon as people start to talk, it's an intellectual sort of ranking that you start to do almost immediately, an assessment of their, the quality of the content of the person. So how can you do this so quickly? Can you elaborate on this a bit? I think human beings do assess other human beings. They reckon about 30 seconds you form an impression and then you might spend the next sort of 59 and a half minutes working out whether your initial assessment was right. Occasionally people get it wrong if you've got reasonably good EQ skills and people skills. But generally speaking, your first impression is correct. It can be more complicated if someone's very introverted. And there are a lot of very successful people in business who are very introverted. And then you need to give them more time to get comfortable and start to reveal themselves and their abilities. And some people can be extreme extroverts. You maybe need to give them a little bit of time to calm down a little and start to see what they're really like underneath the bravura, the front that they might be presenting to you. But generally speaking, it's about looking and listening and really evaluating what you've got in front of you and what you already know about the person before you ask them to come in and see you or as soon as they ask if they could come and see you. 
Very interesting. Many dream currently of having a portfolio career and being a net on various boards. Many are told that they should join a charity or housing association board, and this would improve their chances really of getting a seat around the table. Would you agree? Is this a good starting position for someone who wants to have a seat on a FTSE board? I've heard a lot of people being told to do that, either a charity or some other pro bono organization or an NHS trust and so forth. I think there's a lot of merit in doing that, but I personally don't think you get many brownie points from having done that when you come wanting to apply for a board role or be considered for a board role. I think it counts for as much on paper as you think it will count for. A university board would be better. It would be viewed as more prestigious than any of those. If you want to do a pro bono role or a housing association role or, or a charity role, you should do it because you believe in that cause passionately and you want to make a difference and maybe put something back. I don't think it really pays off as a sort of strategy for furthering your PLC board career. But I think a lot of people disagree with me on that. But that's my personal view. I think you'd be much better advised to go for smaller businesses, to look at business agencies angel associations and organizations and similar types of structures within your community, if you're in the UK and London or other major financial business centers, and maybe get involved with smaller companies, with startups, with younger people, get involved in anything to do with business. It's commercial boardroom skills that really matter. I've sat on charity boards myself, and they're very different to commercial structures. So I think if there's any way you could get something that was more equivalent to a commercial board structure that would count for more, even if it's tiny, than a really big charity board. How can executives best prepare for a portfolio board career? Well, if they're senior enough to warrant a portfolio board career, they presumably, if they haven't sat on the main board, and typically in the UK model, you only get the CEO and the CFO sitting on the main board, with the occasional exception. They wouldn't have had main board PLC exposure. They may have presented to the board. They may have been on roadshows. They may have participated in different ways, which all helps. But they will presumably, if they're senior enough, have sat on the exco. They may have sat on some subsidiary or some joint venture boards, and that really does count. They need to be able to demonstrate that they've made a success of their career and what their commercial credentials and credibility really is that they've, I don't know, turned around a business in the Middle East or in Asia or in Yorkshire or somewhere, what they've done, they've taken it from A to B, what business achievements and success stories they can really lay personal claim to really helps in terms of getting their credibility. So when it comes to looking for people for boards, they may want someone who has got Asian experience, Middle East experience, has got experience of sustainability or health and safety or large-scale contracts or marketing or remuneration, human resources, different elements that might be relevant to different businesses. There are so many thousands of different businesses. So you want people who have really tangible, impressive track record in certain strata of all of that and then they can leverage that to try and justify having a seat on a board. That almost leads us to the next question. What does it really take to secure a role on a board of a FTSE 100 organization? Well, I think it's not that different to a FTSE 100 or a FTSE 250 or even smaller or AIM. I would kind of group those all together. Among a lot of boardroom practitioners, very experienced, very senior individuals would choose to have maybe one of each, you know, have one FTSE 100 to give them the sort of social standing and credibility at that senior level. One FTSE 250, which they probably enjoy a lot more than the FTSE 100 because it's less of about governance and more about the operations 
contributions to the business and they will find it more satisfying as a business person. They're really making a difference and adding value. And then often people like something that's either in private equity or privately owned or aim listed. There are different rules and regulations. There's lighter touch governance and they really do feel part of the heartbeat of the business. I think I would group them all together. I think it all comes back down to caliber in terms of landing a role on any board of a reasonable sized business. You've got to be able to bring something to the party. You need to think not just which boards you're going to enjoy, but where you can really add value and make a difference. And you need to think in terms of your backgrounds and experience and your personal track record within your career and what's relevant to other companies in terms of scale, complexity, international or domestic businesses and the different stratas of a business where you've really moved the dial and where other businesses might need that kind of input and you could therefore add real value. So what are the special skills and areas of expertise organizations are currently looking for? Well, they need all the same ones they've always needed, really, for the last 10, 20 years. So the regular streams of talent we look for are people with financial skills, accountancy backgrounds, people who could chair or be a future chair or participant in the audit committee, people who know about remuneration, so they could have an HR background or they could have a finance background. You need to be able to do the financial modeling these days to handle a Remco chair job, particularly in a demanding remuneration committee. So finance and remuneration stroke people skills. And then it varies depending on the nature of the company in question. They might want marketing skills. They might want operational skills. They might want more broad business and commercial skills. Commercial skills can be defined in different ways by different people. Some people might think in terms of retail skills when they talk about commercial. Others might be thinking in terms of property and real estate experience. Some companies will want only people with financial services experience. Others will explicitly not want people with financial services experience. Some may want people with experience of regulation or government, depending on where their business comes from. In terms of new areas coming through, sustainability is the hot topic for 2019 and 2020. Everybody suddenly sort of, I think, accepts it requires, needs, deserves a seat at the table. And of course, technology, which is not new to 2019 and 2020, but technology is constantly in demand these days, although it is spreading more across the board rather than sitting in the hands of one representative on the board. But people who've been through digital disruption, digital transformation, or maybe been at the cutting edge of all of that, I think are important. We've had one or two requests in recent months for boards looking for digital natives. So that's the first. Mm. The way that's defined is they'd have to be younger than 40. So they would look and sound very different. They'd probably be very unsuited and unbooted and would bring a completely different dimension. But I suppose the thing to be careful of is that you don't want to be such an expert on a board that your lights only go on when they talk about your area of special interest. You need to be a broadly strategic person and to have that mindset and ability to be able to make a proper contribution to a board. And if you're not made that way, you're not wired that way, you'd particularly enjoy it. And I don't think it would last very long. Very interesting. You alluded to the age of the digital native. Now, the average age of a board member on a FTSE 100 board is 60.6. How does this really square up with these areas of expertise that are currently in demand? 
Well, it's interesting. I think it could go two ways. I suppose you could argue that early calls we're hearing for digital natives and digital and technology expertise, you would assume that it would lower the average age and it may well have that impact over the next 12 to 24 months. But overall, I would suspect that the average age will increase simply because people are staying actively engaged in their careers for longer, they're healthier and fitter than they were a decade or two ago, certainly a generation ago. People don't go about retirement in the way that they used to in this world. It used to be that 70 was the cutoff point and it was almost a bit embarrassing to stay beyond that. That all seems to have completely evaporated. We're seeing people being appointed to new chairman roles for six to nine year tenures, age 70 or over 70 now. People have got a lot of experience and value to offer. And if they've got the energy and the inclination to do that, then they're incredibly valuable to the business community and to the business world and to everyone's pension funds who've invested in the businesses. So I think it could go in two directions. But I think overall, I would expect to see that increasing. Interesting perspective. <laughs> What should, in your view, board members do to stay up to date and develop during the course of their board career? If you're going to do this kind of work, you have to be genuinely interested in it. You've got to be an inquisitive, curious person. You need to have more than one board role if you're going to be portfolio. If you've got an executive role, then you've probably got that keeping you in touch with everything. But if you have gone portfolio, I think when you have just one board role, you're at risk of becoming a little stale. So I think having more than one board role gives you the spread of input from different organizations and structures and issues, which is very valuable to the other board roles That you have. It's about getting engaged with the company on whose board you sit. So that spending time with the executives in areas that are relevant to your background, relevant to the areas where you can add value. It's talking to people within the company. And then it's viewing it as a profession and keeping yourself well-read on matters that are relevant. All of the big accountancy firms run wonderful seminars and courses and lectures on topical matters of the day, as do some of the membership organizations like the CBI and the IOD and lots of other professional services firms will participate in that. And I think people need to make the effort to attend those and keep themselves abreast of the changes that are happening. And what do board evaluations play in the development of directors? Well, I think board evaluations add huge value in a number of different ways and way beyond the areas that were intended when they became a necessary thing to have done independently every three years. They're often the only means of third party giving feedback to members of a board. There are lots of issues that get swept under the carpet or parked for another day that people don't want to confront because it's awkward or embarrassing and they're all reasonably senior people and there never seems to be the right moment. So I think it's a wonderful tool for both boards and executive teams to embrace and for members of boards to learn more about themselves and their colleagues to improve their and their colleagues' performances and the way they interact. It can really help people to understand their strengths and weaknesses and also to appreciate the strengths and the weaknesses of some of their colleagues, particularly with your model, Spina, I think they can better appreciate in a very front of mind way where they have expertise and a valuable contribution to make. And also, conversely, where other people around the table are clearly stronger than them and where they should probably shut up. Thank you so much, Carol. Fantastic. My Thank you. If you would like to contribute to our podcast series, please do let us know. You can best reach us on info at better-boards.com.